Good morning, Bridge. How we doing, guys? We had a lot of fun shooting that. <laughs> we'll have a lot of fun over the next four weeks. It's an interesting series. Never done anything like this before in my life, but I'm really excited about it. I hope you are. Four preaching pastors, four locations, four favorite sermons. Chance, quite frankly, for all of our location lead pastors to have to be in all of our four locations and a chance for you to hear the hearts of all of our preaching pastors. And so we're excited about that. Today, of course, each one of us are at the location that we're normally at, but over the next three weeks you'll be meeting Pastor Allen, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Ryan as well as we just continue to circulate among all of us and preach what has been billed our favorite sermon. Now, i just got to be honest with you right up front. I've been doing this for uh, 40 none of your business years, and uh, in fact, January, uh, uh, November, I preached my first sermon 49 years ago. I was really, really young, but that's nevertheless. That's right. So the idea of coming up with my favorite sermon is kind of daunting. It's a little bit kind of my favorite. I mean, my mind went to all kinds of places. I won't spend the morning reminiscing, but, but, uh, but I really honestly struggled with it uh, because if you want to know the truth, my favorite sermon is the one I'm working on for this weekend. I mean, it's just, you know, by the time I've, I've read the word, I've prayed myself empty, read myself full, written myself out, I'm in love with what I'm doing this weekend, and I hope that comes across when I share with you because it's absolutely genuine. That's my favorite sermon. I can't even remember what I preach next week or what I'm planning for next week. I'm in that moment, and so that's my favorite. So how do you, so I guess this is my favorite sermon because it's the one I'm doing this week. The, 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 the honest question, though, came for me is how do you pick from, you know, 49 years of ministry a favorite sermon? And so my mind shifted, my thoughts shifted as I prayed about this thing and got past the what's my favorite and just started saying, Lord, what, what thought? You know, I could talk about salvation. I could talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I could talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. I could talk about the power of healing, divine healing. I mean, there's so many subjects. What is the subject? that our people need to hear. And uh, it may surprise you a little bit. I don't know, but my pastor's heart kicked in, and, and here's where I settled. Let, let me start by asking a question. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever made a major decision and later on thought, I wish I'd taken a little more time with that one before I made it? All right, God bless those hands. I see those hands, okay. How many of you are in the midst of making a decision right now? You know you've got to get off ground zero, but you're stuck. All right, God bless those hands. How many of you have, a, have made a decision, but getting started has proved to be harder than you thought it was because you're insecure about the decision you made? Anybody? Okay, so this may not be my favorite sermon. If you'll pay attention, it might turn out to be yours which is what I hope for as we walk through this simple truth. Here, guys, the bottom line is that life is, is about the choices that we make. God has given us freedom of choice. He hasn't given us freedom from the consequences of our choices. And so every decision, every choice that we make puts us on a path to some destination. It puts us on a path to some place. And so we've got to figure out how do we make these decisions in a wise, intelligent, godly, biblical kind of way, a way, quite frankly, that gives us confidence that we've made the best decision we possibly can make, the wisest decision we can make. And so where do you go for that kind of information? 
You go to the man that's labeled the wisest man that ever lived. His name is Solomon. You go to the book of Proverbs that's filled with this wisdom about making decisions. And out of that, I've identified six principles that I believe Solomon taught in how to make a wise decision. How to make a wise decision. So here's the deal. If there's ever been a sermon that I've preached in the two years that I've been with you guys, a little over two now, uh, that I suggested you go to info at bridgechurch.cc and get the manuscript, this would be the one. If you've ever gone to our the Bridge NC app and downloaded the notes, this would be the one. This is one, and I say that because I preached this message having researched it many, many years ago, but it's one I keep close. It's one I keep in my desk drawer. It's one I keep close by because every time I find myself in, in, with a major decision to make, this is my go-to principles. When I made the decision whether or not to accept the elder's call to become the bridge senior pastor, I pulled this document out. I think I did okay. I'm so glad you said yes and just a little nervous there for a minute. But, you know, so I'm not trying to build it up too much, but I'm just saying this isn't just, hey, my favorite sermon. Hey, this is fun. I like this sermon. This is a fun sermon. No, this, is, this gets down to the heart of the matter in all of our lives. And what I want to do in the few minutes we've got is just simply walk you through the six principles that I believe Solomon taught us in the book of Proverbs to help us make wise decisions in life. And again, I hope you'll not just listen. I hope you'll learn. I hope you'll apply, not just today, but in the days ahead. But it might be helpful if you get a major decision you need to make right now in your minds and apply it as we go. You ready to get into it? Principle number one is you've got a major decision to make. You've got to seek God first. Seek God first. Say it with me. Seek God first. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a familiar passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? He shall direct your paths. I love that passage of Scripture. It's one of those go-to passages for so many people. But I actually love Proverbs 28. 26 in the Amplified more because it's a little more direct. Let's look at that one. Proverbs 28, 26 from the Amplified. He who trusts confidently in his own heart is a dull, thick-headed fool. (laughs) Don't you love that? But he who walks in skillful and godly wisdom will be rescued. Have you ever figured out that an awful lot of decisions in life are made based on first impressions and then first impressions are almost always wrong? Because first impressions are often based on how we feel in the moment and the limited perspective we have at first. And so if you really want to make, make a wise decision, you got to calm the nerves and you got to get a broader perspective or you'll come back wishing you'd made a different decision. The night before my wedding, I had this overwhelming feeling, run away. (laughs) It would have been the biggest mistake of my life. And so hear me, guys. First impressions are not enough to make a decision on. No matter how smart they feel at the first, you got to stop and seek God first. You've got to do what Paul told us, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the, let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking. Pray for calm. Pray for peace. Lord, help my racing mind to slow down and give me the peace that only you can give. And then once you get to that kind of slowed down space, place, then you ask him for his perspective. 
James 1.5, if any of you ask, lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So if you've got the option of talking to someone who can already see the end from the beginning, you think he might be worth consulting before you decide? That's all I'm saying is when you've got a major decision to make, stop for a minute and seek God first, put him first in the decision. Now, we could, you know, every one of these six principles could be a series, but I've got to move on because we've got another service coming in a few minutes, okay? Second principle is get the facts. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 16, <clears throat> all who are prudent act with what? What goes in that blank? All who are prudent act with what? With feeling, with faith, with passion. Stop me when I get to the right word. What is it? Knowledge. All who are prudent act with Knowledge, in other words, get all the facts you can, learn all you can before you commit. Let me give you a couple of examples, uh, a good and a bad. Most of you know that Kim and I were missionaries in the Philippines through the 80s. There was a time in the 80s when the, the island of Palawan, which if you've ever seen a Philippine map the, of the, the, the southwest coast of the Philippines, this long, skinny island off by itself in the Sulu Sea. Well, they had discovered some minerals there, and the government decided they wanted to populate the island. And so they were giving away 10-acre farms, seed rice for a year, and a carabao to plow, free. Anybody that would go, six acre, uh, tw- 10 acres, 6 hectares, which is actually more like 12, 12 and a half acres. And thousands, tens of thousands of people took advantage of that opportunity and migrated to the island of Palawan. And for the first wave of people that went, that was great. It really worked out well for them. But the island was a long, skinny, it's a long, skinny island. It's only about 10 miles wide and and 200 miles long. And, And there's a mountain chain right in the middle of the island. And so there's only so much coast on the entire island. What people didn't bother to check was, where's my six hectares? So the first wave got coastlands as good for farming, and the second wave got cliffs going up the side of the mountain. 30,000 people moved there within a year. This phenomenal influx of people onto that island, and about half of them could make a living, and the other half couldn't. It was a mess. Now, God redeemed it. We went down there, planted 15 churches up and down that island, and and. Uh, and People in crisis came to Jesus uh, by the hundreds, by the thousands. And so God used it, and eventually the, the, eco- the economy of the island settled in. But if they had stopped to say, can I see the map of where my land is? Can I learn a little bit about the topography before I go? They probably could have avoided an awful lot of pain in their lives. Most of you also know that Kim and I planted a church in Chesapeake, Virginia. When we came home from the Philippines, we went to Chesapeake. What you may not know is we had never spent any time in Chesapeake, Virginia in our lives. We knew God had called us to plant a church. We knew God had called us to reach our generation, people that still believed in God but somewhere along the way had given up on the church. Uh, but we didn't know where to go or how to start or anything else. And so uh, we did a study. In fact, we spent 10 years studying that and, and learning how to, to lead a church like that. As it got closer, we read every book. We attended every seminar we'd get our hands on. We established relationships with other church planters. I found a mentor. Kim and I went to a church that was a model of what we were trying to do. We we wrote letters to two dozen cities across the southeastern United States while we were still in the Philippines. 
And, and we said, you know, we're, we're church planters. We're considering coming to your area to plant our new church. What can you tell us about your city? We did not hear back from some of them. We got nice little form letters from a few of them. But we got a letter from the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce that says Hampton Roads is growing by leaps and bounds, and we would love for you to consider coming to our city to plant your church. We're giving your contact information to all of our member organizations. You're going to be hearing from them. And for the next three months, we got letters still in the Philippines from banks, and schools and medical facilities and real estate agents trying to sell us a house before we even got there, you know. Thank God for real estate agents that go after it, you know. Uh, and so we learned everything we could possibly learn until we finally settled on, we think it's Chesapeake, Virginia. And then I hired somebody to do a demographic research of the entire city. What was I doing? I'm going to do my best to learn as much as I possibly can and then armed with information, mixed with my conviction and calling, we're going to make a decision on faith. Well, Jim, how's that faith? It doesn't sound like a, sound like a business plan to me. It sounds like your faith was weak to me. Well, Proverbs 18, 13 in the, the Living Bible says this, how blank to decide before knowing the facts. Anybody want to guess what goes in there? How spiritual to know before knowing the facts. What, 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 do, you, what do you think goes in there? How stupid to decide before I look it up. That's what it says. How stupid to decide before knowing the facts. Guys, hear me. The reason why so many bad choices are made that lead to bad consequences, whether we're talking about life or ministry or relationships or business or whatever it is, is what I call uneducated enthusiasm. It's a great idea. Is it? Really? What's a great business plan? Did you do any market analysis? Well, I think it will sell. Cool. Do you, does anybody else think it will sell? Oh, man, I have couples come to me for premarital counseling, and, and I'll look at them and say, so you want to get married? And they'll go, yeah, we do. It's okay, why? Well, we love each other so much. Oh, I'm so glad. What else you got? Spending time talking about your life goals. Spending time talking about where Jesus is going to fit in the equation of this relationship. Spending time talking about what you see as God's purpose for putting you on the planet and how those two things mesh. Spending time talking about what that might look like as you come into agreement as a couple. You ever talked about what it means for Christ to be the center of this home? So what am I saying? I'm saying get all the facts you can before you make a decision. Bring God in the equation. Pray for peace and perspective and then do your homework. Get the facts before you move forward. You ready to move on to the third principle? I told you it's going to take a while, but I want to make, I want to make sure we get it. The third principle is you've got to consider godly counsel. You've got to consider godly counsel. You've got to talk to somebody who has been where you are and has gotten to where you hope to be, somebody who's made a similar decision and who knows you well enough to know what your real strengths and weaknesses are. Because i got strengths and i got weaknesses and you got strengths and you got weaknesses, and if we aren't honest about them, we can sabotage our own sense of call. Proverbs 24, 6. I like, I like the way the New King James writes it. In a multitude of counselors, there is, what is it? Safety. And it saves a lot of time and pain too. Sure, you can learn from trial and error. But it's probably a good idea to learn from somebody else's trial and error. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you could spend your whole life learning and never get around to doing. 
in fact, I don't, I don't know if it's true, but, but it has been suggested that one of the reasons that the children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness before they got to the promised land is because Moses lived like a man and refused to ask for directions. I don't, I don't, know, if that's, I don't know if there's any truth in that or not, but it's, it's, I just heard that. I just heard that somewhere. Okay. Proverbs 20, 18. Get advice if you want your plans to work. Get the advice of others. So you ask yourself questions like, okay, I've done my, I've put God in, I've asked for peace and perspective, I've done my homework, I've learned as much as I can on my own, now what else do I need to know? Who can help me figure out what that is? Who has experience in this area? And start to identify some people that you can get some godly counsel from, some wisdom from. The problem is this, far too many people would rather appear wise than be wise. Have you ever noticed that humility and wisdom go together? That the most humble people I know are also the wisest people I know? And the wisest people are often humble, and yet the most arrogant make all kinds of dumb mistakes. I mentioned when I was talking about getting our education before we started Community Church in Chesapeake, uh, that we went looking. We found a model church that was doing similar to what we I wanted to do. We found a mentor, somebody who understood the dynamics of church planting uh, in America that I didn't know. We found partners, other pastors uh, who were doing similar kinds of things in other parts of the country that we could interact with and, and bounce ideas off of. We found a model, a mentor, and a mate. Let me say that again because I think it's important. Find a, a model, a mentor, and a mate. Find those three kinds of counselors before you step forward. Bottom line is no man is an island. If you want to succeed, you've got to stop faking it till you make it. You've got to get some advice. And let me just quickly say before we move on, make sure it's godly advice. I was talking with one couple in premarital counseling one time, and she had a previous marriage, and she was talking about her previous marriage and how that came about. And at one point, she said, you know what, the, the, the problem is that if I had gotten godly advice during my first marriage, it may well not have ended. Because he's a nice guy. We got in a bad place, and all of my friends were saying, leave the jerk, you deserve better than this. Come on, girl, get out of there. And I did. And it's taken me a lot of years to get healthy enough to consider marrying again. Get godly advice. I love the way Isaiah put it in Isaiah 47, 13. And one of the reasons I love it is there's a lot of Hebrew sarcasm in it. If you understand Hebrew sarcasm, it's all over this thing. It says, all the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what's coming upon you. You know anybody that can't move without checking in with their psychic? It's amazing. So I remember a few years ago, the Psychic Friends Network filed bankruptcy, and the first thing that hit my mind when I saw that is they, they didn't see that coming. I mean, they, <laughs> get godly advice. Ready for number four? <clears throat> you got to count the cost. Every decision has a price tag. Let me say that again. Every decision has a 
price tag. Every decision is going to cost you something, and so you've got to do your best to figure out in advance, what's this going to cost me? Is it going to cost me in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of energy, in terms of reputation? Every decision has a price. Hear me, even the decision to postpone the decision has a price tag. Every decision has a price. Proverbs 20, 25, it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. It's a trap to decide before you deliberate, to commit before you consider. you got to stop and say, whoa, wait, stop. Let me think about this for a minute. What's this going to cost? It's okay when somebody asks you to join them in a decision to say, let me get back to you. It's okay to do that. Let me pray about that. Let me do some homework, and I'll get back to you. Just be sure if you say that that you do that. One, one, of, my, you know, one of my pet peeves with Christians is say, well, yeah, yeah, I'll pray about it and let you know, and I never hear from them again. Don't tell me you're going to pray about it and let me know if you, unless you're going to pray about it and let me know. Just say no. Don't, don't leave me hanging. Anybody with me on that one? Don't leave me hanging. Just say, okay, sure, by all means, go pray. Let me know what God says. Because I don't want you to do anything God doesn't say, but make sure that you come back and tell me what he said. Hear me. Most people who push you to make a decision now have an agenda of their own. So refuse to be pressured. I remember a salesman saying to me one time, man, if you, if you don't make this decision right now, you're going to miss out on this deal. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to miss out then. Maybe the deal of the century, but I'm just going to have to take my chances because not, that's not how I operate. I'm just not going to do it that way. Had one guy, a timeshare presentation one time. Guy got some mad at me, veins are bulging, leaned across the table, got in my face and said, this is the best deal that's ever been presented to you, and you are waffling, and you need to make a decision. And I, instead of leaning back, which is what he wanted me to do, I leaned forward and I said, dude, you seem really stressed. I'm a pastor. Could I help you in some way? Maybe I could pray for you now. And he went, forget it. And he could have walked away. I said, do I get my prizes? Do I get my prizes? <laughs> True story. Don't let people press you. And let me ask you this way and we'll move on. Is it easier to get in than out? Is it? Is it easier to get into debt or out of debt? In. Is it easier to get into a dysfunctional relationship or out of one? In. Is it easier to make a commitment or to keep one? Make. It's easier to get in than out, guys. So you've got to stop and count the cost before you pull the trigger. Jesus saw this as so important. He told two stories on it to illustrate it. Luke chapter 14, we won't take time to read those stories, but, uh, but simply put, he said, which builder would start building a building without asking first, what's this going to cost me, and do I have the assets to pull it off? Which king is going to go to war without counting his troop strength first to say, is this a war I can win? Why? Because you've got to count the cost before you make the decision. H.L. Hunt, who founded the Hunt Wesson Corporation, said one time, there's only two secrets of business success. First of all, you've got to figure out what you really, really want in life, and then you have to decide what you're willing to pay for it. Let me say that again. First, you've got to figure out what you really want in life, and then you get to decide what you're willing to pay for it. Let me, let me let you in on a little secret. Once you answer those two questions, you negate the cost. It's not important anymore. 
because you've settled it. Before Kim and I moved to Chesapeake, we asked those two questions. What do we want most in life? And what are we willing to pay for it? We confirmed that God's call in our lives was to start a church that was specifically focused on reaching people that had believed in God but had given up on the church. We believed that was a large harvest. We had no idea how large a harvest it ultimately would be, but we knew that that's what God had called us to do. We knew there would be a cost associated with it. We decided that we would pay that price. So we kind of thought through, what are some of the costs? Well, the kids are going to go to a new place and and leave their friends behind. They're going to go to new schools they've never been a part of, huge schools. They've always been in small schools. We don't know where we're going to live. We don't know if anybody's even going to come to this new church that we're starting. And we ask ourselves the question, are we willing to pay that price if we have to? Once we knew we were, never thought about it again. We just settled in our hearts. Here's what we need to do. Let's go do it. So what do you do when you've got a wise decision to make, a major decision to make? You want it to be wise? Is you seek God's first. Come on, read it with me. Seek God first. Get the facts. Consider godly counsel. Count the cost. And then number five, develop a strategy for solving problems. Develop a strategy for solving problems. You've all heard the expression, hope for the best but plan for the worst. You heard that one? Hope for the best, but plan for the worst. I got curious about that this week and and did a little research. I Googled it and and said, who said hope for the best, plan for the worst? Uh, Anybody know who said that first? I got 305 million hits on who said that first. And none of them was the guy who said it first. You know who's, I didn't scan all 305 million, don't worry, but I, could, I didn't see his name anywhere in the midst. You know who said it first? Proverbs 22.3. Solomon said, the wise see danger ahead and avoid it, but the fools keep going and get in trouble. He said it first. God inspired him to say it. So once you have a sense uh, that you're going for it, You've sought God and you've got peace and perspective. You, you've, you, you've evaluated the facts best you can. You, you've weighed the cost best you can. And now you're ready to move forward. Before you do, pause just another minute and do your best to prepare for the worst. You can't solve all the problems up front, but it's a huge mistake not to plan for them. I had a friend come to me one time and said, uh, Jim, I know you're a businessman, but you've got a good business head on your shoulders. i got a little small inheritance, and I've always wanted to open a little gift shop. Would you look at my business plan for me and, and see what you see? And I thought, well, this is really smart of him to get some godly counsel, even though I'm not a businessman. And so he brought it to me, and I looked it over, and he did a pretty good job of putting it together. When I sat down with him, I said, well, dude, uh, this looks really good. I mean, you've got it all laid out here, but, but I don't see a line item in your budget for repair and maintenance. I don't see a line item in here for, for loss due to shoplifting and theft. What are you going to do about those things? Because this is a really tight budget. He said, I'm going to be careful. Anybody want to guess how long his store lasted? Till the inheritance ran out. Far as far too many people make decisions based on, this is huge, guys, because I've seen people do it when they buy a house. I've seen them do it when they take a job. I've seen them when they're doing all kinds of stuff. They make a decision based on best case. 
They'll come and tell you, oh, this is going to be so awesome. Here's what's going to happen, and here's what's going to happen, and here's what's going to happen, and it's all best-case scenarios. Have you figured out yet that best-case almost never happens? Now, worst-case usually doesn't happen either. (laughs) This is not a downer message. I'm just trying to get some wisdom into the decisions, but let there be no mistake about it. Problems are going to arise. The Bible knew about Murphy's Law before Murphy did. I love the bumper bumper snicker that said Murphy was an optimist. (laughs) He said, you know, if anything can go wrong, it will. No, when anything goes wrong, it's going to happen is the reality. You can't ignore problems is what I'm saying. They won't ignore you, so you can't ignore them. You've got to come in prepared. Uh, for that reality so that you'll be ready when they come. So how do you do that? Well, you ask yourself a couple of questions. First of all, what can go wrong? Do your best to think through what can go wrong. Every good idea has something wrong with it. I'll say that again. Every good idea has something wrong with it. You can't think of anything wrong with it? Go find a negative person and show them your plan. And all of you have one in your life. Don't look at them. I've got a couple, and when I come up with an idea that's just short of genius, I take it to them and say, hey, i got this great idea. What do you think? And I just brace myself because I know they're going to pick that thing apart. I used to chafe at that. I still don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but, man, has it helped save me from some bad decisions along the way because I just listened. So what can go wrong? Plenty of people around love to burst your bubble. That's just how they live. But uh, they got the gift of discouragement, you know. The second question is, what can I do about it now? Here's some things that can go wrong. What can I do about it now? Again, for me and Kim, when we started the new church, the the, the worst thing that could happen, what, what do you think would be the worst thing that could happen when you start a new church? Nobody shows up. What if we come there the first Sunday morning and nobody comes and we try one more Sunday and nobody comes and so it just it simply doesn't happen. What do we do then? We've, we've put it all on the line. I mean, we literally moved to Chesapeake with a, with a two-cubic-meter crate. That's all we had. We went to a jackrabbit storage facility and got stuff out of their dumpster to furnish our house. I mean, we just we put it all out there on the line. So what's the worst thing that can happen? Nobody shows up. And so we ask ourselves that honest question, what, what could happen? And I said, well, I'll, I'll get a job here until we figure out what to do. Well, what if you can't find a job? You've got 20 years' experience in the ministry. That doesn't necessarily translate to marketplace value. Get a master's in biblical studies, not a whole lot of jobs out there looking for those master's degrees. <laughs> what if you can't get a job? Well, then I guess we move back in with one of move in with one of our parents until we figure out what to do. Do we want to do that? Somebody say no. But we went to them and said, here's the deal. We're kind of thinking through what's worst-case scenario, and for us, the worst case, nobody shows. So if worse comes to worse, could we move in here with our kids until we figure out what to do? And both set of parents said, sure, we don't want you to, but yeah, sure. (laughs) And again, we never thought about it again. But we didn't make the decision based on best case, because did I mention best case almost never happens? We made it based on a wise look at what we're praying will happen and then settling 
that we can be prepared for problems. Now, don't, don't, don't confuse preparing for problems with solving problems. I've seen an awful lot of people paralyzed uh, because they can't make a decision. They, 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 they want to solve all the problems before they start. They, they want a guarantee of success before they even make a commitment. And I need you to understand, as followers of Jesus Christ, that takes faith out of the equation entirely. And Jesus said, according to your knowledge, research, homework, what? According to your faith, will it be done to you? If God is in it, it will always require a step of faith for it to happen. There will always be a piece of it that you have no idea what's going to happen or what you're going to do about it if it does, but you've done your due diligence and you still believe God is calling and you step out by faith. That's not just true in ministry, though. I had the honor of getting to know the chief engineer at NASA in the development of the shuttle when we lived in Virginia. And uh, Dick Snyder was his name, and, uh, and he was the engineer in charge of all the other aeronautical engineers in the designing of the shuttle. And one day in the course of, of talking to him, I said, so, so were all the problems solved before the president went public that we're going to build this spaceship that can take off, go into space, and land? He said, the technology didn't even exist when he went public. We solved those problems as they arose. So I'm not suggesting for a moment you're going to solve all the problems in advance. I'm just saying don't be blindsided by them because you didn't take time to say what might happen, how are we going to solve it if it does. I mean, community church had problems. Most anybody that looks at that church would say it was a success, but we had all kinds of problems. I and mean, when we started with no money, no members, no place to meet, we're getting phone calls from people that said, hey, we heard you're starting a new church, but, but we don't know where. Where, where are you going to meet? I said, give me your address. I'll send you some information soon because we didn't have a place. We're scouring the community for a place. We didn't have one. We just knew God had called us to do it. There are all kinds of problems that you solve as you go ultimately leads us to the sixth principle, and I'll hush, is you've got to eliminate your excuses. And this may well be the one that some of you came here to hear this morning, so don't tune out on me because we're getting close to the end. Lean in. Most of the excuses that we come up with, if we do the first five principles and we're still making excuses, it comes usually out of fear. Well, I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. I'm afraid, afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll embarrass myself. I'm afraid I'll get over my head. I'm afraid I'll be rejected. I'm afraid people will laugh at me. I'm afraid I won't have enough money. You just described my whole life. <laughs> what am I saying? Don't be afraid to go out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. It may be cliche, but it's true. So having done your due diligence and having walked through these first five principles, there comes a point where you just say, okay, God, I believe you called. Here I go. And I'm going to step out. Well, yeah, Pastor, in my case, it's not fear. It's just the timing isn't quite right. Well, I need some more education. I need some more bill. Okay, then that's part of your plan. But if you're just sitting there saying, I don't think I can because then that's just an excuse to cover your fears most of the time. Moses said, I can't speak to Pharaoh, I stutter. 
Abraham said, I'm too old to have a son. I'm 99 and my wife is 90. I mean, no way, Jose. Double no way, Jose. I mean, come on. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Gideon said, I'm the wrong guy from the wrong tribe and the, and the dumbest nation on the planet. What are you talking about? You can make all those excuses you want, but at the end of the day, they're just trying to cover up for your fear. Regina Wheat and Regina Whitfield, some of you know Jimmy and Regina Whitfield, precious, precious couple. I've considered him my pastor for many years. I was preaching at First PH Church many years ago, 30 years ago. One Sunday morning, Jimmy invited me to come, and, and it happened to be at a time when Miss Regina had been asked to speak at a women's conference in their denomination, and she'd never done that at that level before, and she was terrified. I had no idea what was going on. She never talked to me about it. I came and preached that morning on fear. Revelation chapter 21, and the liars and the murderers and the cowardly will find their place in the lake of fire. She came to me after the message in tears. She said, I told the Lord this morning, if the guest speaker today mentions the word fear in his message, I'll know that that's what's going on. I'm just being scared. And then I preached this whole sermon on the cowardly. She said, I'm going to do it. 30 years of amazing ministry out of an amazing woman of God because she faced her fears that day. Well, I'm not afraid, Pastor Jim. I'm just waiting for the right time. Ecclesiastes 11.4, if you wait for, come on, read it with me out loud. One, two, three, go. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Hear me. One of the great truths of the Bible is God uses imperfect people in imperfect circumstances to accomplish impossible tasks, often simply because they faced their fears. So what's God calling you to do? You've been putting it off. You must say, ah, hear me. Perfectionism produces procrastination. Say it with me. Perfectionism produces procrastination. Perfectionism paralyzes potential. Say it with me. Perfection paralyzes potential. Some of you, it's time to get up, get moving. Do your homework. Make a decision. Move forward in faith, believing that somehow God will make up the difference between your, what you're capable of and what he's called you to do. Guys, you know me. I'm from Bladenboro. Little old town, so small, they had a traffic light for many years. They don't even bother to turn it on anymore. They put a stop sign at that intersection. That's the town I'm from. And I found myself pastoring a church with 4,000 people in it. How in the world did that happen? And then I get a chance to pastor this place? Are you kidding me? I'm from Bladenboro, and I'm old. Are you kidding me? Eventually, we're going to have to say, if God calls, I will say yes. And you trust him to make up the difference between what you're capable of and what he's called you to do. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? Read it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Just bow your heads with me for a minute and close your eyes. I just want a private moment. I'm not going to tarry very long, but I just want a private moment with you as we prepare to pray, and I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer.
I ask you at the beginning of this conversation to kind of get a major decision in mind that you need to make. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe others have come to mind as, as I've been talking this morning. But, but, but get one in your mind now, if you will. What's, what's a major decision you need to make? Should I marry or not? Should I change jobs or not? Should I buy this house or not? Should I go all in for Jesus and quit playing games with him or not? Should I become an owner of the bridge? Roll up my sleeves and become a part of what God is doing in this church. Should I confront a friend that I see about to step off a cliff and have a hard conversation or not? What, what decision is God calling you to make right now? Pray this prayer with me, okay? Real simple. I'm just going to pray back through the principles. I want you to get it. Father, I need your perspective. I need you to give me a peace that passes understanding because right now I'm a little nervous. I'm a little insecure. I'm a little anxious about this decision, so I just need you to give me a peace, first of all. And then I need you to give me your perspective. You praying, guys? You that are online, are you praying with us? Then, Lord, I'm going I'm to do my best to learn everything I can learn about this. I'm not going to make decisions based on superficial information or misinformation. I'm going to do my best to get the facts. I'm going to seek some godly counsel. I'm going to find some people who might be a model, might be a mentor, might be a partner, a mate. But I'm going to find some people to give me godly counsel before I step out. Lord, help me to honestly count the cost to not make a decision based on best case, but to be prepared for worst case if it happens so that I can ask myself, is it worth it? And give me the wisdom to develop a strategy for those problems if they in fact arise. Bottom line, I'm done making excuses. Say it to God. You can say it silently, say it aloud. You can yell it if you want to. I am done making excuses. I will be who you made me to be. I will do what you put me on this planet to do. I will accomplish what you've put in my heart to accomplish. I will be who you say I am. I am yours. Help me to overcome my weaknesses, overcome my fears, overcome my insecurities, do my due diligence, and step out by faith. In Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Father, you know who's praying. You know the decisions that they're wrestling with right now. I pray for clarity of heart and mind. I pray for an infusion of faith in their hearts as they step out by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, would you? I hope this is meaningful information for you. I can't say it's my favorite sermon, but it's really close to one of the favorite things that I've ever talked about because I've seen such practical aspects and practical stuff for it. I hope you'll hang on to it. Write me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you the notes so you can study them 
more in the future. If you're new at the bridge and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, we've got a guest gathering right over the way. I'd love to have you come and hang out for a few minutes. Several of our staff people are there. We got some uh, some uh, some sweet little pastries and and a free coffee for you. I'd love to meet and chat with Bennett. I'd love to meet you over there in the guest gathering. Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here, hearing your word. I pray that we'd apply it in a way, Holy Spirit, that only you can, because you're the teacher, the counselor, and the guide. And we thank you in advance for the good decisions that will be made as a result. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. The altars are open. You need to pray with somebody. Take advantage of that opportunity. Make your way to the front. God bless you guys.